Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of Beyond the Bookshelf podcast at the Columbus Junction Public Library. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. As many of you know, Erin and I, we might have a thing for true crime. And by a thing, I mean, I think it scares all of our families how much (laughs) we know about true crime and enjoy true crime. So one of our favorite podcasts, shout out Morbid, the hosts kind of talk true crime back and forth. So one knows the case and the other one's just kind of responding in real time. So we're going to do that today. And by that, I mean, I know the case. Erin does not. So you're going to hear her responses in real time to what we are calling a library crime. We are going to talk about today the transy book heist. And the research that I've done on this uh, says that it's one part Ocean's Eleven, one part Harold and Kumar, four Kentucky kids with millions to gain and nothing to lose. Oh, goodness. This sounds like it's going to be so good. But I'm also like politely terrified. Like, is this going to be like one of those where I want to laugh at? Is this one of those where I'm like, oh, you're going to laugh. All right, guys, let's experience this together. Let's meet our characters. Betty Jean, our librarian at the Special Collections Library at the Transylvania University, Lexington, Kentucky. Quick aside, that's not Transylvania, Romania, right? No, it's not. But like, I really kind of hope this like rare books room is kind of like in a turreted tower. Like this is what I'm envisioning in my head, which is probably probably not what it is at all. (laughs) I hope this is all in a tower. It's all in a tower. This is what my mind is saying. Oh, goodness. Good. So Walter Beckman is Betty's 11 a.m. appointment, and he is interested in looking at the Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species and four double folios from John James Audubon's Birds of America. But when Walter Beckman shows up, he's got someone else with him, his colleague, John. So to get into Transy's special collections room or rare books room, you just have to sign into a visitor's log. That does not seem secure. Right? Okay, so this is what I was thinking. (laughs) Like, just throwing that out there. I know this is a heist, so like, maybe I've been primed. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this doesn't seem like the most secure thing ever. So when Beckman gets there to sign the log, Betty realizes that he's a lot younger than what she imagined and he's a lot less cordial than he was on the phone. Okay. Read that what you will. (laughs) She was so excited for this little date that she had now it's just this mean young guy. Kind of, yeah. So they go into the rare book room but Betty heads towards the display case and then she feels a tingling on her arm and collapses. By 1 p.m., campus is swarming uh, with cops and people investigating. Reminder, this is an 11 a.m. appointment. So by 1 p.m., the campus is swarming with people. So wait, she got something in her arm uh-huh, collapsed. And collapsed. Now, and she doesn't remember anything else. Now the campus is swarming with police two uh-huh. hours later. Okay, okay, uh-huh. okay. Let's go. And the news crew is labeling this the transy book heist. The early news shared that there were four Caucasian men in their 20s and ha- they'd stolen the most prized books and manuscripts of the library's collection, a possible $5 million. Holy smokes. Because of the value of the stolen items, the FBI was contacted immediately, as well as the National Crime Information Center. This is the part that is bananas. No fingerprints were left behind and almost no witnesses. Wait, what? Okay. In a heist? In a heist? Okay. In a heist. And this is in the library? Uh Uh-huh. And there was no witnesses? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Maybe this is just a tower off by its own. It was the last day of finals. Oh. I didn't give you that piece of info yet. Okay. You'll get that later. 
The only clue was a gray minivan with a temporary plate speeding away from the library around the time that the heist was expected to have happened. But the person who saw that gray minivan did not get the license plate correct. Oh no, soccer mom's on the loose. Soccer mom's on the loose. (laughs) Oh, the van part, it's so good. I'm telling you, it's so good. (laughs) Okay. So Betty remembers Beckman saying, quote, quit struggling BJ, or do you want to feel more pain? End quote. This stood out to her because only those who really knew her or were familiar with her knew that her nickname was BJ. Excuse me, I do not care how close you are. I don't care if you're my mom. You do not call me BJ. Agreed. So that's the whole heist. At this point, that's all anyone knew. Okay. Let's kind of flip flop and we're going to meet our additional cast of characters. And this is the fun part. They were, quote, good boys from good families. Oh, aren't they always good, nice young men with promising futures? Oh, it's almost like you've read this article that I'm talking about today. So there's Warren Lipka, Spencer Rennard, Eric Borsuk, and Charles Chaz Allen II. Oh. Not Junior, the second. They went for Chaz twice. They went for Chaz the second. Anyway. <laughs> all right. So Spencer and Warren grew up together and played soccer together despite going to different high schools. Warren was your typical, like, popular jock flash class clown. And Spencer was the overachieving, overscheduled success story. Their friendship blossomed despite Spencer's parents' disapproval. So they both graduated the same year. Warren went off to the University of Kentucky, also in Lexington, with a full athletic scholarship, and Spencer went to Transylvania on an arts scholarship with a graphic design career in mind. Okay. But once they got to college, neither of their experiences turned out really well. Soccer wasn't, they weren't the stars. It was a totally different level of playing. They tried to pledge frats and that fell flat. They had familial problems like Warren's parents were divorcing and his dad gambled them into bankruptcy. Woof. Right. So Warren's like, well, this stinks. Dad doesn't have money. So he starts selling fake IDs with another fellow student and he recruits Eric Borsick that we talked about earlier to help him. So Eric is also a former classmate and a former teammate, and they do a humdinger of a business. They're charging a hundred bucks per license, and then they branched out to quote more lucrative identity options. They won't say what it was, but they do say they dubbed themselves matchstick men. So problems arise when two grand goes missing from Eric's drawer. So Eric gets peeved because, like, he says that Warren and this other dude stole from him. So they stopped talking and disbanded entirely. But Eric was their software graphic design person. So without his mock-ups, who else could take his place so Warren can keep making money but his good friend Spencer. You know, the art student. Oh no. Flashback to his parents telling Spencer, that Warren kid is no good. Right? Like, P.S. kids, listen to your parents. Oh, I feel so bad. Okay. All right. Let's recruit this poor kid. So Warren and Spencer do go into business together. They're making, you know, little bits of money here and there and the whole thing. So one day they're just smoking pot and Spencer tells Warren, I just went on this tour of the Transy Special Collections and like there's a crazy amount of money in all of these old books but like all you have to do is sign a book to get at them. Like a log book. Like you just have to log in. It's, it's just like crazy how much money some of these items have gone for. Well, the sticking point was how they would ever turn that those books into money 
right? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. It went from Spencer, the kid on a scholarship who's going like to school and doing all these wonderful things to Spencer being like, yeah, okay, but I'm helping you. No, I have this idea. Let's go ahead and commit a crime. <laughs> yeah, because all you have that's standing in your way is a little old lady in a log. <laughs> okay, okay. I- that is a Spencer quote, by the way. Oh, it's a direct quote. Oh, I love it. Uh-huh. Yeah. All that's standing in their way is a little old lady in a logbook. Oh my gosh. Okay. I take back all of the the, like pity I had for Spencer. Like, oh, getting recruited (laughs) by these bad boys. Also, shout out to him. He probably had to go on a dumb tour for class. They made him go. That's exactly how it happened. So they (laughs) made him go on that tour and he hated it so much. He's like, I'm a steal all this stuff because they had referenced how much money some of the John James Audubon work had gone for. They did this to themselves. I mean, maybe don't tell broke college kids how much expensive old stuff you have. Oh my goodness. But anyway, the sticking point is, how are you going to turn this into cash? Like you have these old books. How are you going to turn it into cash? So Q Warren and all his business mindedness. He, quote, contacted someone in the art underworld. I don't know. I don't know how a college kid has this, but he does. Anyway, the contact that he got in touch with said that there was a second contact in New York City. And for $500, Warren could get a meeting with this other person. So he and Spencer bought a bag of weed (laughs) and headed out to New York to meet this person. They used fake names because, of course, they have their fake like fake ID business. They paid in cash because they had seen their fair share of heist movies and didn't want to leave a paper trail. So this meeting resulted in an email address for them to contact. So they set up a fake account on Yahoo Mm -hmm. using the Transy Library's email and internet services. (laughs) Okay, wait, hold on. Just throw that out there. It's Yahoo? What year is this? 2004. Do not be judging Yahoo. (laughs) Do not. I still have my Hotmail, but it was... I'm feeling very attacked by your... Dude, we were still using Ask Jeeves as our (laughs) search engine in 2004. So let's just not go there. Okay, okay. (laughs) Anyway, so they created a fake email account on Yahoo and they get in contact with this email address who says that they would need to come to Amsterdam to meet with them. So Warren creates more fake documents and he goes off to Amsterdam. And America? No, like... Holland, Amsterdam. Oh, oh. Like he's traveling. Internationally now. Internationally. Okay, yeah. let's go. So he had nothing to defend his statements of like having possession of these rare books. Like oh, he because didn't he didn't. Have, because he didn't, exactly. So he didn't have any photos. He didn't have any documentation, nothing. So nothing happened with this meeting that they paid $500 to get and then paid to go to Amsterdam and the whole thing. But the suggestion was, if you have these things, you need to get an appraisal. Knowing that the books would be stolen once they got to to that point. What does Warren do? He contacts Christie's of New York to do the appraisal on his stolen item. He did not. He did. Because, <laughs> because in his mind, he's thinking, who's dumb enough to take stolen property to Christie's? <laughs> I mean, they might just be the best in the world, but like, I don't know. What else? Who is dumb enough to do that? <laughs> Warren. They continue to smoke their weed. They continue to eat pizza. They continue <laughs> to drink some beers. <laughs> and they talk over their plans to one day steal these items. And they realize that Spencer and Warren can't pull it off. Is it because they realize they're dumb? 
because there's only two of them. Oh, and it's oh, just not going to work. Okay. Not enough manpower. Exactly. And you'll see there was not enough manpower. Betty Jean, watch out. They're coming for you. They're coming for you. So Warren suggests his friend Eric, who got him started in the fake ID business. The one who he's feuding with currently? Well, but they bring Eric on with the promise of lots and lots of money. So suddenly the feud is like, <laughs> they're not Hatfield and McCoy in it anymore. Oh, I see. Like, when there's enough money, even thieves can become friends. Good. Eric suggests his friend Chaz Allen that he'd actually started a landscaping business with over the summer. Like a legitimate one? Like a legitimate one. Oh, okay, yeah. By this point, it's the end of the school year. And so they're like, all right, well, we'll just all live together this summer and have bummer jobs and like talk about it all along. Like maybe we could pull this off. Chaz thought that the other three were, quote, deluded potheads. (laughs) <laughs> end quote. But in his words, after realizing the sheer payout was like, all right, if they're going to do it, I'm in. The fall semester of 2004, between practices and classes, Spencer drew out sketches of inside the library and made several appointments with BJ to scout the premises. Because he's a transy student, he's doing all of the inside work so that that way they don't draw attention to themselves. And the other students go to another college nearby, right? Right. Okay, so he's the only face that could be recognized. Correct. Which is why he does what he does in the actual heist. So the other three monitored patterns of campus police, watched comings and goings of teachers and students, and watched movies like Ocean's Eleven and Snatch for inspiration. I mean, they're great movies. I don't disagree, but they're no Danny Ocean. I'm just saying. I mean, they're not, no. I mean, anyway. So phase one of their plan was that all four would leave the bungalow. They would go to the library in their go-to and away vehicle, their GTAV. That's what they called it. I'm not referring to it as that because that's ridiculous. That's very dumb in a way that only college boys could do. Please continue. So they're going to all four leave the bungalow in their getaway vehicle. They're going to be disguised as old men and they're going to get into position at the library. Old men? Old men. They didn't even, okay, all right, all right. Disguises, yes, correct. So then phase two, Spencer is going to take the position at the upper floor window of the nearby athletic center as the lookout so that he doesn't get recognized. Remember, he's the student. Warren and Chaz are going to go to the rare book room where Warren takes down BJ with a stun gun. Oh, gee. Chaz lets Eric in and they all load backpacks and bedsheets to transport all of their loot to the getaway vehicle. Phase three, the getaway vehicle leaves the library. They trade it out for a second vehicle at a secret location, take everything to a temporary resting place, and then leave immediately to go to Christie's within a week. Because, again, the internet was not what it is now. So like this whole idea of communication and like art, like theft and stuff like that was there wasn't a centralized database on the internet. So the art theft world wouldn't have known that these items were stolen for about a week. So their plan was to unload them at Christie's before that first week is up before they get reported stolen. This seems insane, but it's 2004. So okay, it does seem insane given the way the internet works now. But my 2004 college graduation heart understands it completely. Okay, all right, all right. I won't knock it. We were still fighting the internet from taking over our whole lives. So it's fine. It's fine. And and now everyone uses Facebook to log into everything because no one wants to remember a password. It's true. It's, it's, It's honestly true. So they actually had done some thinking about this. So they had nicknames for each other, which of course, none of you will be surprised, were inspired by Reservoir Dogs. Why is it always Reservoir Dogs? I don't know why. I don't know what it is about college boys and Reservoir Dogs that it just resonates with them for some reason. I don't understand. 
Okay, fine, whatever. Reservoir dogs. Let's let's continue on. Always reservoir. Dogs. It's always reservoir dogs. Oh man. So by November, Warren had made his appraisal appointment for Christie's under the name Walter Beckman, which was inspired by everyone's favorite soccer star, David Beckham. <laughs> Which I find amazing because they're college soccer players. Like they're all like David Beckham is totally like our main dude. He was dating everyone hot. I don't know. Was he with Posh Posh? by then? I don't know. Victoria. Victoria. Her name's Victoria. Her name is Victoria. Sorry, Posh. All I can think was Posh. So they covered their tracks by using public payphones and computers. And then they had set up their appointment with BJ. When you say public, you mean the library's computers. I do, in fact, mean the library's computers and internet and payphones. Woo, shout out to libraries for providing internet service to people who don't have it at home. Warren ordered stun guns via the internet. Eric lined up a getaway vehicle from an unsuspecting friend. And the guys assembled fake beards, wigs, costumes, zip ties, tape, bed sheets, the whole thing. All right, so the day of the actual heist, December 16th, the plan fell apart immediately. Of course it did. Eric couldn't be the lookout because he had a final that he couldn't reschedule. (laughs) Eric couldn't get his friend's car, so Chaz had to borrow his mom's Dodge Caravan (laughs) that she was selling the next day, so there was a limited amount of time he could use it. The stun guns never arrived, so Warren had to go across town to buy a Black Cobra stun pen, and the guys tested it on themselves to see how it worked. Pen? Of course. They, they got a stun pen, and the first thing they did is like, let's try it. Let's go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so then, after they tested it to see how it worked, they couldn't find a close enough parking spot, and they realized that their costumes were ridiculous, and other students were staring. That's when they realized the costumes were ridiculous. So they decided, okay, tomorrow's the last day of finals. Maybe tomorrow would be a better day. The library would be less busy. So Warren rescheduled all the appointments for Walter Beckman. Then they changed up their plan a little bit more. Warren would be the only one to go into the rare books room and he would call Eric when it was time for him to come up and help using a cell phone that he would steal from an unsuspecting student. This is where Mandy's 2004 is coming in to say, we all thought cell phones were lame. None of us carried them with us. It was not how our friends got in touch with us. It was big. It was bulky. It was lame. You kept it in your bag and you hoped no one could see your stinking cell phone that you were going to put in your bag to put in your car to call your mom to be like, I'm on my way home. Got to go. Bye. So you only used a minute of your cell phone service. Don't get me started on the whole conversation about minutes. You're too young. You don't understand. Some of you listening will understand the pain and suffering that was cell phones once upon a time. (laughs) Okay, sorry. So them just finding a cell phone is insane. Being able to steal one and not have someone notice immediately was actually legitimate. Yeah. So the plan needed to be executed and done by 1230 because that's right. Chaz needed to return his mom's minivan. (laughs) I forgot they had a van. (laughs) And Spencer and Eric had finals to finish later that afternoon. So, like, this whole plan is based around when can I get my mom's van and when does everybody have free time in amongst finals? So, at 11 a.m., Chaz was in the vehicle in the perfect spot. Warren went up, 
Eric gets the call to head in. He is surprised, though, that BJ is still awake because originally Eric wasn't supposed to go up until BJ was already taken care of. So Warren uses the stun pen. BJ goes down, they cover her eyes, and they start loading things into backpacks and bed sheets. Things were a lot heavier than they anticipated, so they took a lot less with them. They rode the staff elevator to the basement where they were supposed to find the fire exit, but they couldn't find that exit, so they came back to the main floor. <laughs> They're just wandering around the library with stolen stuff looking for a door. Uh-huh. And then we're surprised that they saw another library staff. They panic and head back to the basement to get away from the librarian. That's when the librarian's like, oh, I haven't seen anything from BJ in a while. I better go check on her. They go upstairs, realize BJ's unconscious, come back down. They both meet on the back stairwell. So the librarian and the guys meet each other on the back stairwell. They drop some books and run. Just in front of them? They just drop some of these like rare, like really expensive books in front of the librarian and then they just bolt? Yep. Yep. <laughs> As a librarian, I, I have to like defend this poor librarian. I would be shocked. I would not know what to do. And I would be so angry that they dropped my books that I would be frozen in raw anger. Oh, I'd be livid. Okay. Chaz starts driving as soon as they get out of the building. And when they were far enough away, Chaz kicks Warren and Eric out of the van because he thought three dudes in a minivan would look suspicious. And he promised to pick them up with a second vehicle after he took the minivan back to his mom's house. He drops them. And I don't love the use of this word, but this is the way that all of the articles that have been written about this have said it. Chaz supposedly dropped Eric and Warren in the projects. So it wasn't exactly maybe the best place or the place that they felt most comfortable. So here's these two college age boys in the quote projects with all of the crap that they've stolen. They didn't even leave the stolen stuff in the van. They took it with them? They took it with Why didn't they leave it in the van? And he's like, oh, I had to move my friend's backpacks over, mom. Two local dudes start chasing our friends, Eric and Warren. So what do our genius college boys do? They try to flag down a cop. What? Because they felt threatened in the project despite having stolen property. The cop car didn't stop to help them. I don't know why, but Chaz showed back up in time and picked them and the stolen property. In they just running around the street so. waiting for him. And the whole neighborhood is like, what is with these strange dudes <laughs> yeah, running around with backpacks? Chaz picked them up with the second vehicle. Like he said, they got back in with all the stolen property. And what do they do? Chaz drives Eric to his tennis final, which was harder than he thought it was going to be. How <laughs> <laughs> was the tennis final harder than he thought it was going to be? Did the game change? Yeah, I just stole all this stuff, but the tennis final was super hard. So after the fact, Warren and Eric were kind of upset because they didn't think they'd gotten much, but it actually worked out to be like three quarter of a million dollars worth of stuff. They got the 1859 original edition of Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species, an illuminated manuscript from 1425, a, a set of the two volume 15th century horticulture masterpiece Hortus Sanitatis, 20 original Audubon pencil drawings and Audubon's a synopsis of the birds of North America. And all of these are shoved in a backpack wrapped in bed sheets. 
as well. Oh my gosh. For any of you who have kids out there or who were kids and you remember this very vividly, the last day of school when you just shoved everything into your backpack and you didn't care how it was. This is how I'm imagining all these very expensive things and I'm so sad. I, I don't think you're wrong in your imagination. So after finals and later that night, the boys watched coverage of the heist together. No one seemed to really be able to give a description. The license plate was written down wrong. There weren't any connections that the cops could make to them. So what do our friends do they celebrate with some good old Kentucky bluegrass weed and start driving to New York City the next day after telling their parents they were all going skiing together in West Virginia because break started to go home for winter break so Spencer keeps them all entertained on the way to New York by reading a section from Darwin about domesticated animals and their ears dropping due to not needing to be on alert for danger this punk is Uh touching that uh-huh. book with his bare, greasy hands. Grubby hands. Oh, I am so... I'm like... I'm almost shaking, guys. Okay, fine. Whatever. So they make it to New York. They stayed at the same hotel. They had dinner at a restaurant. They had drinks at the hotel bar where it should be added that Warren chummed it up with an Iraq vet. Spencer almost started a brawl. And Eric picked up a, quote, middle-aged Brazilian tourist end quote. (laughs) Two of them visited a nightclub later, and after nursing hangovers the next morning, they visited Ground Zero and then scoped out Christie's. Okay. All right. So we're just checking out NYC. (laughs) Okay. They decide that Spencer and Warren are going to go to the meeting with Christie's. So Warren is dressed like in his suit for like special occasions and job interviews. He looks like, like the epitome of young professional. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like a stockbroker or something. Yeah. Spencer decides to wear his grandfather's 1970s canary yellow blazer with a large collared shirt, gold silk scarf, and white sneakers. Because that's not memorable at all. They left the books in the car with the other two, and they were scheduled to meet with Thomas Leckie, the rare book specialist. But after a little bit of a wait, Melanie Holleran, his assistant, came out and said that Mr. Leckie was indisposed and couldn't meet with him. So... Warren and Spencer indicated that they were representatives of Mr. Beckman, who was described as a very private individual from Boston who had recently inherited a number of rare books and manuscripts and thought they were valuable, so he wanted an appraisal. At this point, why do you not say that the kid in the 70s outfit is Mr. Beckman and, like, at least pretend? I don't know. They had old man costume. Whatever. Okay, it's fine. Million dollar question. Uh, So when Halloran asked about the books, Spencer went to the car and brought them in in a rolling red suitcase. Oh, my God. <laughs> so there's, so- I'm totally kidding. Like, Danny Ocean vibes, like, walking through the casino with duffel bag. Oh my god. Okay. All right. So after about 30 minutes, and she asked a lot of like Providence questions. So they tried to answer them as best they could. The meeting ended and Ms. Holleran asked for a contact number to be back in touch. And here's where our boys downfall. Spencer gives her his actual cell phone number. Why didn't they try the cell phone number that they'd stolen? They already stole a cell phone. Steal another one. You're in New York City. They stayed in New York for another night and they tried to get back in touch with Mr. Lecky, but no response. So at this point, 
Chaz loses it. He cusses out Warren as being incompetent. The other two are burnouts. And he demands a, that the three of them figure out a way to get the books appraised so they can move on to the next phase and get the money. But the other three ignored Chaz and they returned to Lexington. Eric said that Chaz was a weight on them and for them. The mission wasn't so much about the money anymore. Okay, okay, okay. If I'd be, if I was Chaz, well, okay, as Aaron, I completely agree with Chaz. Like, these kids, what? Second of all, like, he's only in this for the money. So he, he, he has business. He knows what he could lose. Like, so throughout the rest of break and into January, the case is kind of at a standstill. But a federal subpoena in January for Yahoo got data about an email address for Mr. Beckman. And that's where they had emailed back and forth with Christie's. So they got in touch with Melanie Holleran. And she said, why, yes, she did meet with Mr. Beckman's representatives. And shared that their youth, their clothing, their answers to questions made her a bit suspicious. And so she recommended not pursuing things any further with appraising their items. So wait, the week has passed. They used the exact same name that they used on the sign-in sheet at the Mm -hmm. university. Uh And they gave the real number. And Uh they're falling apart. Uh Uh-huh. And then they went back to Lexington. Yes. So they're not even in New York anymore. No, because by this point, it's January. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. All right. So the FBI got security camera footage from Christie's and got the phone number that Melanie received to get back in contact with Spencer. The FBI called the phone number, which was registered to Gary Rinnard, and got a voicemail that said, this is Spence. Leave a message. A quick Google search got hits for Spencer Rinnard, soccer star. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know? know that there was a picture of Spencer and Warren playing soccer together that looked quite like the camera footage at Christie's. I don't know how they got this far. Like, that's the thing that I keep questioning myself. Like, I'm not surprised that it's falling apart. I'm surprised it got this far. So the FBI and Lexington police started surveilling the boys. And the guys knew, other than Chaz, that, like, they they felt like things were closing in on them. But they were trying to act normal. They kept going to class. They kept doing their normal stuff. In fact, it was so normal that they went to a movie together. Okay. Ocean's 12. (laughs) They didn't. They did. They make jokes throughout the entire movie saying things like, oh, that's just like us. And there's FBI agents sitting right behind them. They deserve (laughs) to go to jail. They deserve to be caught. They are bragging. They they, are bragging. They are bragging that they didn't, but they couldn't even finish the job. Like, it's true. Oh, they deserve to be caught. So... While they're trying to act normal, uh, Warren gets caught shoplifting a TV dinner from a supermarket. What? Not one of you boys would loan him the money so he could eat? When you <laughs> knew you were being surveilled? You you knew somebody was watching you 24-7. At this point, you're like, you're just thumbing your nose at the cops. Like, what are you going to do about it? I'm seeing this, like, Shakespearean thumbing my nose at the cops as I take this TV dinner out of the if you're gonna steal something steal something better you know like well they did they couldn't turn it into money dude (laughs) i mean like don't steal a tv dinner steal like a frozen pizza or something so eric was also arrested and booked on a dui um and he was pulled over for running red lights but mostly he was pulled over because warren was hanging onto the roof rack of the car (gasps) as he was driving drunk and running red lights On top of the car laying down. Like, <laughs> he's car surfing, literally. 
these okay these these boys they're just like i'm tired of this let's get caught (laughs) for real they're like ah let's let's see what else we can get away with so on february 11th 2005 swat broke down the door of their bungalow and dorm rooms and everybody was arrested all of the stolen goods were found undamaged under warren's bed all four pled guilty to all six federal charges that included theft of cultural artifacts from a public museum and interstate stolen interstate transport of stolen property they all got 11 to 14 years except for warren who got 14 to 17 as the ringleader compounding the sentence was that the audubon folios were removed from where they belonged, but they weren't actually removed from the whole, like that's what they dropped when they met that other librarian in the stairwell. So they dropped some of those things. So they considered what they actually took out of the library, but what they took out of the rare books room as well. That's how it got to $5 million. Okay. So that increased the amount of the theft and that the stuff They dropped $4 million? Uh Uh-huh. They dropped one, so they each had a bag and they dropped like a third bag and the third bag that they dropped was four million and they got away with under a million yes guys what because they didn't know what they were stealing they had no concept none a full set of the audubons i think uh, several years before that had sold for like 12 million dollars at auction they dropped the best Okay. Because again, it was heavy. It was heavy and they got scared. Also compounding the sentence was the fact the stun gun was used and that was considered a dangerous weapon. Excuse me, stun pen? Stun pen. Oh, I'm sorry. Stun <laughs> pen. They couldn't get the stun guns. Those came afterwards from Amazon. What did they What did they do with them? I don't know. They probably got high and started poking at each other with them. I don't know. Oh, this is college boys written all over it. Okay. It's, it's spectacular. So... The interesting part of it was none of the four turned on each other. Not even Chaz, who was super frustrated the entire time. I'm not going to lie. If I was Chaz, I would have flipped immediately. Be like, these bozos. Uh, Yeah. So it was really interesting. The FBI is like, no, they never, ever, ever, ever turned on each other. I bet it was all that Reservoir Dogs they watched. I think it probably was. So they would have gotten away with it. If it weren't for those meddling cops. (laughs) I love that you just did that. Um, They would have gotten away with it other than the phone number. If that phone number would have been a fake, they would have never been able to have gotten. That was the piece that turned the tides against them. They could have just said, here's the email address. That's how we prefer to be contacted. No, they had to leave the phone number. I know. I get it. Spencer, Warren, and Eric say they have no regrets other than hurting BJ. Well, that's nice. That is nice. I'm sure that gives her many, many comforts late at night when she thinks about how she was downed with a stun pen in the rare books room of Transy University in Lexington, Kentucky. This woman thought she was going to like have like a nice appointment with this nice old man. And she's like, "Mm, mm, could be good. And then, (laughs) and then out of nowhere, she is done by some mean punks and now every time she has a meeting she's probably hyperventilating like i bet you it did adjust some of their security measures though well i'm glad something good came out of this (laughs) so i think the part that's super interesting is that they maintain that this heist was their last chance to create a viable life for themselves after college in order to avoid going back to like the sterile suburban world Eric said, and this is a direct quote from Eric, if we got away with it, we'd be in Europe living this crazy life thinking we were Ocean's Eleven types. If not, we were going to get caught and it was going to be a crazy story, end quote. They would have preferred to not get caught. And I'm like, 
They would have preferred not to get caught. Well, and clearly these are college boys because uh, yeah. three quarters of a million split four ways is not going to give you, it, it might give you a crazy week in Europe yeah. and maybe even a month, yeah. but you're not going to live a life on a quarter, three quarters of a million dollars split four ways. Also, like if they had the four million, then maybe a million each would get you like a month or something like that. Or like, I don't know, maybe geniuses, you should invest it or something so that you could just live off the interest. But like, you're college boys. You're not even thinking about all those things. Oh my gosh. And the worst part is, is like, I'm like, this is so dumb. They're just coming up with an excuse because they just wanted to steal something. But then I think about Eric in his tennis final and I'm like, oh, maybe <laughs> he was living a suburban nightmare. So Warren closes out by saying, in a few years we'll be released. We'll all be still young. We'll be stronger, better, and wiser for going through this together, the three of us. Before, in college, growing up, we were being funneled into this mundane, nickel-and-dime existence. Now we can't ever go back there. Even if we wanted to, they won't let us. That was the point all along. No, it wasn't. You wanted the money. See, we have no choice now but to create something new someplace else. Believe me, you haven't heard the last of us yet. Okay, so this is <laughs> How you get on lists, guys. This is how your phone you get gets on tapped. When yeah. you tell the news, hey, by the way, as soon as I'm out, I'm going to steal again. Watch out. Well, and he doesn't say that. He's just like, you just haven't heard the last from us. What and are you like, going to do? Start a band? Well, like, and honestly, like, you were selling fake IDs and fake passports, and then you stole a bunch of crap, and then you've been in prison. What skills do you have, Warren, my man? Because I don't think there's many. I love your confidence. I love that you want bigger and better things for yourself, but I'm just a little worried at the execution part of it. <laughs> you do you, boo, but what skills do you have? <laughs> <laughs> and so even though Chaz didn't flip on them in the interviews that they've done with journalists and stuff like that, Chaz is never like granting interviews. It's just the other three. Because he's not a dummy dum dum. <laughs> You're doing 11 to 14 for these yahoos that are like, you haven't heard the last of us yet. It's going to be fine. And he's like, no, this is awful. I lost my business. I'm leaving. You guys are garbage. I'm not going to turn on you because bros, but garbage. Okay. Yeah. The broco is strong. Okay. Okay, so this was in 2005. They get 11 to 14 years, right? So that's somewhere they could be out by now because that would be that they could have gotten paroled between 2016 and 2020 or for Warren between 2020 and 2024. I don't think they're out yet. You know why? Why? Because I haven't heard anything about them. <laughs> I walked right into that. I even saw Aaron's face. As I saw it coming. It was like a truck. I just slammed <laughs> into it. It was like a Mack truck rolling right down the table at me. <laughs> I am kind of dying to know, though, if they are out. Because I don't want to hear the last of this. Because I think about all of the amazing... Like, I mean, where's the Italian job in all of this? I mean, you didn't even, like, take the bottom out of anything. Like, in terms of the foundation. I, I just have high expectations for their next... Whatever. P.S. This is not me condoning that anyone should commit crimes. I'm not saying that. But I'm like, we. I feel very strongly that we left out the Italian job in all of these movies references. I'm a little sad by it. Guys, this has been emotional. It's been a ride. Yeah. Also, I would like to say that I don't understand everyone's obsession with birds and John James Audubon, but like his folios and stuff like that are <laughs> consistently stolen because I can't even tell you how many library crime articles like I looked up and read until I settled on this one because it was just too great <laughs> to not be first. But like, stop it with the birds already. I mean, everyone's stealing these John James Audubon folios. 
And now I have those images of birds from... The birds? Yeah. Hitchcock. That's what it is. I thought you forgot the title, and I'm like, the birds? I knew it was the birds. (laughs) I could think of the dude in my head, but I couldn't get his name. Alfred Hitchcock. Sorry, I did his profile. (laughs) It's his profile. You did do the profile very well. I wish I took a picture of that. I would totally put it on our social media leading up to this episode release. This is Aaron doing the Alfred Hitchcock profile. You'll want to know why (laughs) later. (laughs) So anyway, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Library Crime. Let me tell you, I have, guys. It's been wild. It's been emotional. I'm so excited we got to share this together. I really love reading about library crimes. I don't know why. I think we're going to bring this uh, particular type of episode back occasionally because you know, hashtag true crime. Follow us on Wakelet if you would like. Otherwise, we have our Wakelet feeds embedded on our website. And now we have every single episode up, all the books that we've talked about. I will link the articles that I used for reference. Please some pictures. I want to see these doofuses. Oh, you know, I didn't go out and even look for pictures of them. You don't even know what they look like? I don't. You don't have a picture? They're bros in my head. Oh, you don't even have a picture of the canary yellow suit? I, I, I'm putting that on the list. I will find that for you. And when the wakelet goes live, it will have the canary yellow suit. Oh, God. Never you fear. We have all the episodes on our website under the Beyond the Bookshelf podcast. We also have them on our wakelet so that you can kind of go back and be like, oh yeah, that's the book that they were talking about. Um, I try to make a few comments so that it kind of sparks your memory a little bit. Like, which book were they talking about that I thought sounded like da-da-da-da-da? Anyway, so for this one, I will link pictures when I find them. I will do a brief brief search on whether or not they are out because I have to know this piece of information and link the articles that I used for research purposes. We hope that you enjoyed this. So we'll catch you next time on CJPL's Beyond the Bookshelf. Bye guys.